please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. And as you make your way there, stand with me and let's pray together. 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Father, we rejoice in seeing Stephen Gale and what you're doing in Uganda. We pray you would strengthen them and refresh them. Lord, be with them in a special way as they prepare to go back here in a a short month. And as we open your word, we pray that you would teach us. In Jesus' name, would you teach us to honor you above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. The title of our message tonight is Honor God Above All Else. We're going to put a photo up on the screens. Maybe you saw this this week and... Let's give it there. How many of you guys saw this picture this week? All right. How many of you have never seen it before? If you've never seen it before, I want you to take a look at it and see if you can figure it out. Don't say anything. Don't blurt it out. If you know, don't give away the secret. Think you got it? So they're getting married, Memorial Day. This is Craig Earwood and his wife, just about ready to walk down the aisle. They didn't want to see each other, but they wanted to pray together. And this is what Craig Earwood told today.com. He said, we were about ready to take our first steps in life together, and we didn't want to take a step without it being in God's will. That's honoring God above all else. It's amazing how God used this as a testimony to go out to the world. It went viral instantly. Secular media picked it up, and they told the story of the beauty of God's design for marriage. All because a couple, they weren't wanting to make a big statement. They weren't thinking, okay, this picture's going to go throughout the world via the internet. They just wanted to not take one step in life without being in God's will. And they said, we've got to pray together, but we don't want to see each other. And what we're going to find as we go through this chapter is there's two families We have Eli and his sons, and they're not honoring God. They're not honoring God above all else. It's not the fabric and the DNA of their family. But then we also find Hannah and Samuel, they are honoring God. There's this contrast as we go through this chapter. And there's be a challenge for us at the end to look at in our own hearts and lives, our commitment to honor the Lord. So let's begin in verse one of chapter two. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. If you remember from chapter one, Hannah was barren. There was polygamy that was taking place with Elkanah. Her rival, Paniah, had children. She didn't, and Paniah would mock her. She went to the tabernacle, cried out to God, God, would you please give me a son? I'll dedicate him to you in your service. God answered her prayer. She dedicates Samuel, and it's upon this dedication, it's upon Samuel being left at the tabernacle that she prays to God this prayer of praise. In the most difficult day of her life to say goodbye to her young son, she finds her heart rejoicing in the Lord. She says, my heart rejoices in God. She's taking note of the character of God. My horn is exalted in the Lord. That's a weird phrase, isn't it? What does that mean? Horn speaks of strength. Ram's horn is the strength of the animal. So throughout the Old Testament, they would describe strength in the term horn. My strength is exalted in the Lord. Also, there's a transparency here throughout her 
praise and her prayer, is there some validation between her and her rival, Paniah? And she's saying, I'm smiling at my enemies. She's smiling at Paniah. In verse two, no one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Throughout the Old Testament, we find Hebrew poetry in songs. And Hebrew poetry uses parallelism. And what that is, is it's not the rhyming of sounds like in our poetry, but it's the rhyming of ideas. It's saying the same thing in three different ways in slightly different language. And if you look closely, she's saying, there's no one like the Lord. And isn't that true? There's no one like him. He's holy. And then there's none beside you. You have priority. And then there's no other rock like our God. It's the similar truth said in three different ways. Verse three, talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your youth for the Lord is the God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken and those who stumble are girded with strength. First, she starts with the character of God and salvation that God brings to us. Now she's saying, there's accountability with God. Here, Paniah was treating her in a way that wasn't right, but yet God gets the last word. God sees and God knows and God has knowledge. He's the one who weighs our actions and our thoughts. He's the one who breaks the bow of the mighty. He brings those who are strong and causes them to stumble. For the next few verses, she's gonna rejoice in the sovereignty of God. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread and the hungry have ceased to be hungry. Even the barren has borne seven and she who has had many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes the poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among the princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. God can change our situation in a moment. You could be at a place where lots of strength, everything's going well, lose your job, get diagnosed with cancer. And what Hannah is saying is I was in a weak and feeble position and God raised me up. Paniah had the upper hand, she was so confident, but now God has brought her into a weak position. If we really understand how much control God has over our lives, it brings us to humility, doesn't it? It brings that lack of arrogance in in our lives. Does this psalm, this song, this poetry ring a bell to you? Because we find Mary, when she realized that she was pregnant of the Holy Spirit, she quoted out of this song of Hannah. Probably around age 16 or so, she was a student of the scriptures. And she remembers the worship of Hannah, and she then uses and incorporates that in her own worship. Also, John the Baptist's dad, when he had a song of rejoicing when they found out that they were pregnant, and he quoted from Hannah's prayer as well. You never know how your praise is gonna affect somebody. You never know who's listening. Maybe it's gonna be recorded in a journal. Maybe you're singing it out. I know that I love to hear people worship. I'm encouraged by your worship tonight. It encourages me. Why do we come together to worship? Because God does something special when we worship with one another. 
Have you ever been spurred on by somebody else's worship? I know that I have. You could stay at home and put on Pandora, put on some worship music, put on an eight track possibly, I don't know. <laughs> but there's something special when you get in God's presence. Some, some of you are like, what's an eight track? <laughs> you don't even know, huh? You're like, I don't even know what an eight track is. But we get spurred on by one another as we worship the Lord. In verse 9, he will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversary of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Who do you think is being referred to that he will give strength to his king and he will exalt the horn of his anointed? Who's the ultimate anointed of the father? It's Jesus. Messiah means anointed. In the Hebrew, it's Messiah. In the English, it means anointed. Hannah in this song is foreshadowing Jesus Christ. From my study and my understanding, this is the first reference to the Messiah in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. God meets her in this place of worship, in this difficult sacrifice of lending her son to the Lord. There's this beautiful praise. I encourage you, be a worshiper. Be someone who responds to the goodness of God through the word and through your personal experience in your life. Give careful attention to give praise for who God is and what he's done in your life. If you look at this closely, you'll notice she doesn't reference Samuel specifically. She's thankful for Samuel, but she's more impressed with the character of God. She's more impressed with the giver than even the gift that the Lord has given to her. Verse 11, then Elkanah, her husband, went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Samuel begins a life of ministering to the Lord in the tabernacle. I love the way that that's phrased. He's ministering to the Lord. He's doing these simple acts of service in the tabernacle, but it's under the Lord. That's our lives, gang. That's the way we should live our lives, to minister under the Lord. Those menial things around the house, do it under the Lord. Those menial things at work, do it under the Lord. Yes, even driving, do it under the Lord. That's convicting. Verse 12, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They didn't know the Lord. The word corrupt literally in the Hebrew is sons of Belial. Belial was a foreign god. Belial means worthless, good for nothing, unprofitable. God is calling it as it is with the sons of Eli. He's saying they're corrupt, they're wicked, and they're evil. What's the source of their corruption? They didn't know the Lord. They're serving in the tabernacle. Their father is the priest. They've been around the things of God but they don't have the knowledge of God. And because of that, there's a deep corruption in their lives. You can be in the church of God, around the people of God, thumbing through a Bible, singing songs to the Lord, but if you don't know him personally, if you haven't surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ, there's a real corruption in your heart and in your life. And that's what we find with, with Eli's sons. It's not so much about proximity. It's so much about the heart. It's so much about surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. This also reminds us of our depravity apart from Christ. Amen? Apart from the knowledge of God, 
apart from repenting and surrendering to Jesus, as was sung in this slideshow, I have decided to, to follow Jesus. Without that kind of surrender to the Lord, there's absolute corruption. And we'll see that corruption play out in the sons of Eli as they were priests in the tabernacle in this rotten spiritual state. Look at what they did in verse 13. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. It's quite descriptive, all of the different words for a pot. And the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did it in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. The priests did not have land. They didn't have a physical inheritance. So God gave provision in the law for them to receive some of the sacrifice. But the fat was to go to the Lord. The fat was considered the choicest portion of the meat. Wow, how things have changed, haven't they? But at this time, man, the good stuff was the fat. And so you would burn that to the Lord and you would offer that to the Lord. Exodus 29 tells us the priests were only to take the shoulder and the breast of, of the meat. So even this practice of sticking the three prongs into the boiling meat and whatever came out on the prongs was a little bit of a deviation from what God had said in Exodus 29. But then on top of this, to just go ahead before it's even offered to the Lord, before the fat is offered to God, before it's boiled, we're just going to take the meat raw. E Eli's sons wanted to take the, the meat raw. Why, why would they do this? Why would they want the raw meat? Did they want to cook it a particular way themselves? They liked filet mignon to only be cooked three and a half minutes on each side, and it was ruined at, by it being boiled. Were they taking the meat and selling it in the market? I don't know, and it really doesn't matter. It was an absolute violation of what God had said. And at the end of verse 17, it says, therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. They were offending God. And they were also stumbling and offending God's people. It says, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So people would come and they would want to give. They would want to make the sacrifice, but they knew that Eli's sons would take it before it was able to be given to God, and they said, I don't even want to give an offering to the Lord. These men, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were fleecing the flock. They were taking from the flock instead of feeding the flock of God, sinning before the Lord and offending God's people, and it breaks God's heart. And it breaks God's heart today. I think that there's times in church leadership, where we get in the way, where people want to draw near to God. 
They want to give to God's work. They want to come worship. They want to come hear God's word. But instead, a spiritual leader gets away from the Lord. Corruption gets into his heart. He's taking from God's flock instead of giving to God's flock. And then people start to throw up their arms and then say, why would I go to the house of God? They start to abhor coming and worshiping just like the children of Israel did at this time. So verse 18, we see this contrast with Samuel. But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. So it goes back and forth throughout this chapter. Corruption of Eli and his sons, the faithfulness of Hannah and Samuel. Samuel doesn't get distracted. He doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't say, well, my environment's terrible. Look at this corruption, the sons of Belial. He was faithful to serve God. He was faithful to continue to minister before the Lord. Maybe you feel like your workplace is the sons of Belial. There's a lot of corruption there. Maybe you feel like your particular family has an extreme level of wickedness and evil and corruption. Maybe it's your spouse. It's very close. It's very personal. Samuel's right in the mix here. He's being raised by Eli. He's hanging out with Hophni and Phinehas. Some of you students, high school students, college students, some elementary kids back in the back. Maybe you you go to a school and you see all kinds of things happening at your school. You've only told your parents half of it, right? And you think, well, I'm destined to be like everybody else. No. You can choose to follow the Lord no matter what your circumstance is. You can choose to be faithful to the Lord. My wife, Amber, her grandmother, her name's Jean Harder. She's about 86 years old now. She's an amazing woman of God. And when she was a young girl, first, second grade, nobody in her family was going to church. And she just decided that she wanted to go to church. And in St. Louis, she would walk the streets of St. Louis several miles and get her little self to church. She had some pretty bad things happen to her on the way from going from her home to church as a little girl. It wasn't a safe journey for her to go even at that time in St. Louis. And what was going on there? God was raising up a little Samuel who was in a difficult family background and God put it on her little heart. You get yourself to church. Can you imagine? And then God's used her life throughout her life and she continues to walk close with the Lord. And maybe you can relate to that. You go, my family's not Christian. I'm in this terrible work situation. I'm in a corrupt school. I have a corrupt boss. And God says, hey, you can be faithful to me. It doesn't matter the situation that you find yourself in. You can still be faithful. Verse 19, moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. I love this. God records the labor of love. Hannah, every year is going to come see her son. Seems like she only gets to see him once a year. She says, here's your ephod. Ephod was the garments that were worn by the, by the priests. Dorcas in the book of Acts. It's unfortunate that she was given the name Dorcas, but also known as Tabitha. She died, and the scripture tells us she was known for her good works and her charitable deeds. And at her death, they came holding her tunics and her garments that she had sewn for others. They came remembering her labor of love. The simplest things God pays attention to and records in scripture. In verse 20, and Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, the Lord give 
you descendants from this woman for the loan which was given to the Lord? Then they would go to their own home, and the Lord visited Hannah, so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Man, when God fixes something, he fixes it good. Here Hannah was barren. She has Samuel. She gives Samuel to God's work. Now she's got a whole herd of kids, three sons, two daughters. You can't outgive God. Church, you can't outgive God. You honor God. So here's Eli and his sons not honoring God, and Hannah's honoring the Lord. And God will honor those who honor him. We can't outgive the Lord. In verse 22, now Eli was very old. When the scripture says you're very old, you're probably really old. <laughs> and he heard everything his sons did to all of Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. This is crazy and heartbreaking. Women are coming to worship and instead they end up in a sexual relationship with the priests. Greed and sexual sin many times are linked together, especially inside of leadership. Once leadership adopts this mentality that I can take whatever I want for myself, like they did with the offering, sexual sin's usually not far behind. See, because greed says, I'll take whatever I want to satisfy me. And sexual sin expresses the exact same thing. Notice that Eli, he hears this. Eli is not unaware of this. In verse 23, so he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it's not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they didn't heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Eli warns them with words. Hey, you can offend somebody and it could be a difficult road, but if you offend God, who's going to intercede before God? A good warning that's given, but it's only a verbal warning. That's all that's declared. There's no discipline. Even though they're adult sons, he's allowing them to continue as priests in the tabernacle in this wicked state. Samuel, the first time that he heard this, of them stealing of the offering, of them sleeping with women in the tabernacle. So he just said, boys, you're done. Pack up your stuff. You're not gonna be priests. I can't allow this. I love you. You repent. Let's get together and talk. I'll always be your father, but you will not be a priest in this spiritual condition. But he was unwilling to do that. He simply gave words. And when it comes to disobedience, sometimes words not enough. Proverbs 29 verse 19 says, a servant will not be corrected by mere words, for though he understands, he will not respond. Proverbs say words aren't enough. You can say, you can say, you can say, but then you need to follow through with the consequences, bringing that loving discipline. Now the contrast back to Samuel, and the child grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. Hear this, if you honor God, if you serve God, you're going to grow in favor with God and men. It doesn't mean that you won't go through persecution and you won't go through hardship, 
but you're going to find God's favor upon your life. Man, young people, take note from Samuel. Serve the Lord. Be faithful in the smallest of things, and you're going to find God's favor upon your life. God and men. This is said of Jesus as well in Luke 2, verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So Samuel's in good company. Verse 27, then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, one of the heroes of the Old Testament, a nameless messenger that had the guts to speak the message of God, even though it was difficult to give. Thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt and in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did not I give to the house of your father all of the offerings the children of Israel made by fire? He reminds Eli, you've been chosen by God to be a priest. Aaron was chosen and his descendants that they would be the priests forever in Israel. And Eli is being reminded, doesn't this mean something to you? And sometimes God comes knocking, doesn't he? He knocks upon the door of our hearts. He says, don't you remember you're chosen? Don't you remember that I died for you, that your life doesn't belong to you, that you're adopted as a son and as a daughter? Here he is chosen to be a priest, but we've been chosen to be the bride of Christ. We've been chosen to be God's sons and to be his daughters. And there's times where God then calls us on that. He says, you belong to me. You can't just do your your own thing. In verse 29, why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat with the best of the offerings of Israel, my people? He didn't honor God's sacrifice. Listen to God's language. It's my sacrifice. It's not yours. It's my offering. It's my dwelling place and you honor your sons more than you honor me. By choosing to not discipline his sons, he was declaring in his actions that he feared his sons more than he feared God. Parents, it's a difficult thing. It's a challenging thing. To look our kids in the eyes and say, you know what? As for me in this house, we're gonna serve the Lord. So this is the standard in this house. We would love to have you get on board. But I fear God more than I fear you. And I have to honor God. And if you're going to choose to make these decisions, then here are these, these consequences. Sometimes our children needed to be reminded that we're the parent. We're the parent. At all ages, I'm your parent. And our culture says, well, just be your kid's friend. I got to tell you, they don't need more friends. They got a lot of friends. They need a parent. They need someone that's going to confront them in those hard times and tell them things that they don't want to hear and at times bring consequences that are uncomfortable. Not to say that we aren't friendly with our kids and that a lot of times God develops a friendship with our children, but if your goal is friendship, it's the wrong goal, (laughs) If your goal is to say, well, I want them to like me, as Christians, our goal is to say, I want you to know who God is and the way that God wants you to live your life. And so that means right now in your life, I've got to be the bad guy. And you may not 
like it now, but I hope you appreciate it later. And as a child growing up, did you ever feel like when your parents didn't call you on something, you're like, man, do they love me? They know that I'm doing this, but they're allowing me to get away with it. Deep inside, you're going, I hope they hold me accountable, even though you would challenge them in, in that moment. This is a sobering moment in scripture where God speaks this truth to Eli. We go on into verse 30. Therefore, the Lord of hosts says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Eli's gonna die, his sons are gonna die, and the priesthood eventually is gonna go outside of the line of Eli to the line of Zadok, faithful priests, still inside of Aaron's lineage, but no longer through Eli. And God says, look, I'm looking for people that will honor me, and I'm gonna honor them. Church, honor the Lord, you're never gonna regret it. Honor the Lord, you're never gonna regret it. Honor him in your finances, give him the first fruits, give him the tithe, give him the offering. Honor him in your mouth. Honor him in your actions. You'll never regret it. It's not that everything's going to work out easy, that there's not going to be difficult and challenges in your life. Samuel had a difficult ministry. He wasn't always liked, but there was a closeness with the Lord. God's hand was upon Samuel. Did I say Eli? I'm all mixed up in my head. I wonder how mixed up you are in your head. So let me rewind. Samuel didn't have an easy life, but he had a closeness with the Lord. God honored him. Honor the Lord. Make it, make it your commitment. We go on into verse 31. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place despite all the good which God does for Israel and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. We'll see this fulfilled, the word of the Lord fulfilled. The enemy is gonna come and take the Ark of the Covenant. But many of your men whom I did not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart, and all of the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas in one day, they shall die, both of them. And that's exactly what took place. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what's in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he will walk before my anointed forever. Who's the faithful priest? Samuel, Zadok, but ultimately Jesus. Jesus is ultimately the faithful priest, the anointed forever. Verse 36, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and morsel of bread and say, please put, in one of, put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. So here they were taking whatever they wanted, taking the filet mignon, taking the best for themselves. They would be humbled to the point where they're begging just for a piece of bread. In these last few minutes, I want you to stay with me because I think there's some great application for us. And think about these truths and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. First, praise flows from the character of God. Write it down, meditate upon it. Praise flows from the character of God. 
Hannah was praising the Lord because she knew who God was. She knew his character and she allowed her heart to rejoice in the Lord. Allow your heart to rejoice in the Lord tonight. Enter into his salvation. Allow the joy of the Lord to be your strength and the goodness of God. She'd experienced the gift of Samuel in her life. We've experienced the gift of God's one and only son. Association doesn't result in transformation. Please hear that. Association doesn't result in transformation. The sons of Eli were associated. They were all in. They were in the country club. You know what I'm saying? Dad's a priest. We're a priest. Grandpa was a priest. We're always around the things of God. They were associated, but they weren't transformed because they hadn't given their heart and life to God. And the same is true for us. Association's not enough. Just being here in the room is not enough tonight. Even if you know Christ as your Savior, walking with God is continually opening up your heart to Him. Amen? It's continually getting into the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to get into us. We got to be careful. A lot of times we think, well, just coming to church is enough. Opening my Bible and reading it is enough. No, it's allowing the truth of who God is to get inside of us and, and affect us. Some of you maybe have been coming for church for years, but you have never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You've grown up around it. Your spouse is into it. You're an observer, and tonight God wants you to give your life to Jesus Christ. And as we end this service and there's an opportunity to be saved, you come. You come in a bold way, in a bold manner, and say, I want to receive Christ as my Savior association doesn't result in transformation. Here's an important one. Faithfulness can exist no matter what. Faithfulness can exist no matter what. Samuel is an example that faithfulness can exist even in the midst of a corrupt environment. Your spouse is corrupt. That doesn't mean you can't walk with God. Your school's corrupt. That doesn't mean you can't walk with God. Your workplace is corrupt. That doesn't mean that you can't walk with God. You be faithful. Don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged. Continue to minister to the Lord. Continue to be faithful in the little things. Continue to honor God, and God will honor you. This is a message that has to get out. We're defeatists as Christians. We don't believe that kids can be faithful over at Doherty High School because it's so corrupt, but they can because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of them. We don't believe that men and women can be faithful inside of the military because there's so many people that don't know Christ as their Savior. Well, guess what? If you're in the military, you can be faithful to Jesus Christ. Amen? A lot of people don't think you can be faithful in the marketplace because it's corrupt. Well, guess what? You tell Samuel that. You can be faithful in the marketplace. Amen? Amen. Instead of running away from the corruption, we need to run to Jesus Christ and saying, I'm standing right here and I'm being faithful to what God has called me to do. Faithfulness can exist no matter where you're at, no matter what. This is the tough one. Love disciplines disobedience. Love disciplines disobedience. As parents, this needs to sink down into our hearts and our lives. Eli's held more accountable than his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. It would have been a different story for Eli if he would have looked at his boys, squared up to them, and said, all right, guys, I'm not going to allow you to do this and be priests. You can no longer be priests. 
God wouldn't have had the hammer for Eli. It would have been the choice of then Hophni and Phinehas. Maybe you've got adult children and they're doing all kinds of wickedness right under your roof. And you're thinking, well, love just kind of tolerates it. Where are they going to go if I stand up to them? I don't know where they're going to go, but it's a sobering thing as a parent to stand before God and say, God, I enabled this. I empowered this. They're 21 years old. They're 24 years old. They're 45 years old. (laughs) And corruption's happening. Wickedness is happening. You don't have to yell. You don't have to scream. Simply sit down with them and say, you know what? This house belongs to the Lord. I'm going to do my best to serve the Lord. So you can't keep doing these things and living here. You need to repent and get right with God or you need to move out. And as kids grow up in our homes, for them to understand, you know what? You know what, son? You know what, sweetie? I love you, but I love God even more than I love you. And my job is to guide you, teach you, and train you, and at times discipline you. Love disciplines disobedience. It's very important. And then lastly, honor God above all else. Whose testimony do we want in 1 Samuel 2? Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas? I don't think so. Or Hannah and Samuel. That's where we want to be. Maybe you're discouraged tonight and you're saying, you know what? I have been honoring God in the workplace. I have been honoring God in the home. I have been honoring God in my finances. I've been honoring God in my marriage, and it's tougher than it's ever been before. Well, just try not honoring him. (laughs) God will be faithful. Just keep plugging away. Lord, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to do my best to honor you. I'm going to surrender myself to you completely. I'm going to live for you. I'm not worried about the results. I'm not worried about what everybody else is doing around me. Above else, I'm going to honor you. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we ask that you would take these truths and you would plant them into our hearts. We want to be like Hannah. We want to be like Samuel. We want to faithfully do the things that you've asked us to do. God, help us as parents, help us as spiritual leaders to deal with the difficult things in our life, to not turn a blind eye, to not simply say words without bringing those loving corrective actions. Lord, would you bring fruit through the power of the Holy Spirit. May your word fall upon fertile soil. In Jesus' name, amen.